Um, speaking of this, if Jackie Chan, if you are listening, um, let's hang out sometime. Bro, you rock. You're like my hero. Uh, even, the Foreigner was really good. I saw it this year. Good job, man. You, like everything you do is awesome. I love you, Jackie Chan. Welcome to Cinema Science, a podcast in which we interview professors, professionals, and graduate students using pop culture references as a talking point. We'll discuss the science behind your favorite movies, games, and TV shows. Each episode will feature a new topic and guests who will answer questions from the public. I'm Heidi, and today I have Anne with me. Hello, hello. Hello. And we have a special guest, Andrew Tabey. Hey, what's up? Uh, so tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. Well, well, um, my name's Andrew Tabey. Uh, I work in Jason Shepard's lab here at the University of Utah, and we stu study the cellular and molecular mechanisms of memory in the brain. So where your brain stores information, how does it call upon that information, and how does it keep that information for years, if not decades? Sweet. We're not going to talk about that today. Today we're going to talk about one of your favorite movies. Yes. What movie is that? This is Drunken Master, starring Jackie Chan, uh, 1978 and also 1994. And any other movie dealing with Drunken Master is and pretty much, I've seen a lot of them. <laughs> so for those of us who haven't had the privilege yet of watching Drunken Master, uh, mostly because the YouTube version's in German for some reason online, <laughs> yep. uh, could you give us just a really quick synopsis? Well, uh, Jackie Chan plays an impetulant young martial artist who is sent to um, learn and also at the same time be disciplined by his uncle, who is known as Master Sohai, who um, has a secret style and uh, has never had a student basically go through his training regiment. But, um, you know, in the context of Jackie Chan being such a poorly behaved um, young martial artist, it was okay to punish him with training and at the same time teach him this new style, which, uh, are spoilers okay? Yes. Hmm, <laughs> okay. It's well, up to you. he uses it to basically defend uh, his father from being assassinated by a very great martial artist in an epic duel at the end of the movie where he uses everything he's learned from the old drunken master so high to then beat this uh beat this great martial artist back and save the day basically so nice. yeah it's a really good movie i highly recommend it and and all of the related movies also <laughs> any kung fu movie just just watch all it. Kung fu, yeah. <laughs> all kung fu movies <laughs> So Kung Fu movies, I guess that leads us to our science topic, which we are going to talk about traumatic brain injury. So I guess since you're the expert, could you just tell us a little bit about what that is, um, how it occurs? So um, as you could 
sort of uh, get from the name traumatic brain injury occurs from a trauma to the brain. So the brain is generally encased in this thing we, we have called a skull. Uh, it's usually pretty protective, um, and there are these layers in between the bone of the skull and the actual brain tissue that will help cushion the brain against impacts, but um, those aren't uh, always 100% effective, especially if you have a very um, significant force um, being applied to the to the head. So um, that's what a traumatic brain injury is. But what is the way that it's defined is by sort of diagnostic criteria called this thing called the Glasgow Coma Scale, which scores the severity of, of general head injuries based on eye, verbal, and motor tests that um, you know any neurologist can perform in the clinic. And they have a scale that goes to 15. The lower the scale, the more severe the injury. And a TBI is, cons is considered anything below a 15. So you should have some kind of deficit in your eye, verbal, or motor responses to, to doctor's questions and so forth. So in Drunken Master, Jackie Chan fights this really cool dude, this really cool bald guy. He's not that Heidi's cool. Heidi's favorite <laughs> Mine in the movie. My favorite character. <laughs> and he, I mean, this guy just fights Jackie Chan with his head, and he's just smashing his head up against Jackie Chan's chest, headbutting him. And he, he looks very great. effective. Yeah, it does. Um, okay, so for those of you who haven't seen the movie, that guy loses. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, I, I would say that, uh, in my opinion, he is one of the more lame fighters. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they follow this. It's a very comical scene. This guy uses his head to actually fight um, based on this kind of outdated notion that if you subject your body to impacts again and again and again, you sort of harden that part of your body, which may or may not be true if you've seen videos of like Muay Thai fighters uh, in Thailand kicking trees and so forth, but I would not recommend to do that with your head um, or frankly any other part of your body, but the head really don't do it um, because uh, as we know from, I guess, NFL uh, stuff like chronic uh, traumatic encephalopathy and as we'll be talking about TBI, um, has a huge range of severity, and I'm sure this fighter that Heidi was referring to may have a very hard head, but uh, I wouldn't rely on him for things that require, let's say, um, high levels of cognitive uh, <laughs> aptitude, if you will. Fair so enough. wait, what's the question? Was that a question? Just I can't about remember. Yeah, I just wanted to talk yeah. about him. Yeah. So Jackie Chan wins the fight by, well, Jackie Chan's character wins the fight by mm -hmm. smacking him on the head with like a hammer a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And there's a very, very funny looking goose eggs that pop up on this guy's head. Uh, but I would imagine if you did get hit with an iron hammer on your head, uh, you would definitely be scoring above, uh, below a 15. Um, or even lower on this Glasgow coma scale for TBI. So, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't fight with your head. <laughs> so in TBIs, is the trauma induced by the impact, or is it the swinging of the head, or a combination of both? Well, you can have, so there's different types of TBIs, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there are what you call like focal or localized TBI and more general TBI. 
So TBI can be induced by the brain actually hitting the inside of the brain case. Um, which also can known as skull, uh, <laughs> brain as, case. Uh, oh, the skull, right? Yeah, <laughs> skull. Okay, <laughs> but um, I don't know. It is what it is, it's yeah. just kind of a you know, the brain house. The brain house, <laughs> brain box. All right. Um, so by <laughs> an impact of the brain on the inside of the skull, which can be caused by things like whiplash um, or any sudden stop you know, or change in acceleration, uh, you could get the brain colliding with the inside of the skull, and that would be a more generalized area of impact. Mm -hmm. So you can have global um, TBI, so something like whiplash, or maybe even a shockwave from an explosion. I mean, that's happening actually a lot with returning veterans. So those are more general. They affect many brain areas. Um, or you can have focal, um, either penetrating or non-penetrating TBIs that would severely affect one specific area of the brain, um, but be less generalizable. But either way, the, the, the effects of TBI really depend on the severity um, and the location of the injury. Mm -hmm. So could you just tell us a little bit more about how we study TBI, how we get to learn more about the effects of the traumatic brain injury? So what they usually do in the lab is they will try to try to induce some kind of impact on the brain so they can use um, an actual physical impact or uh, another lab actually that, that is here at the University of Utah actually fires a 22 rifle right next to a mouse's head. Mm. Um, they, they use blanks, all right, and they're not shooting the mouse, they're just, they're just using the shockwave from the, the, the blast to cause a more generalized TBI. But I think there, there are lots of different animal models of TBI, and that can be good or bad depending on your perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I think we really need, need to synthesize and come up with good meta-analyses for all of those models to, to get useful conclusions. Mm -hmm. But yeah, did that answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's okay. So, again, in Drunken Master, the premise is, is that Jackie Chan's being trained by this master who happens to get drunk and fights. Um, there have been a couple of studies, I think, that have suggested maybe alcohol could be some sort of neuroprotective mechanism. What, what are your thoughts on this? Is there any like science behind that? Well, there, there are some studies that show that alcohol can be neuroprotective of TBI, um, but it's, it's a very interesting question, and they've seen that uh, low to moderate alcohol um, administration, and I'm using the word administration rather than consumption because this was done, the studies I'm referring to are animal models, um, they seem to have a neuroprotective effect that was shown behaviorally. So mm -hmm. the mice seem to recover um, faster or more effectively in terms of uh, some motor tasks and um, memory tasks. Um, but it's important to note that this was low to moderate alcohol administration that is specific to the weight and body volume of the animal. If you were to use a quote-unquote heavy dose relative to that animal's body weight, um, they had much poorer outcomes. Mm. So <clears throat> the thought of getting wasted and then uh, 
you know, having a, a lot better in, of an outcome from some kind of trauma is not really, I, I would say that I wouldn't count that, that data. I would look at the, the low to moderate dose effects, okay? So you're saying low to moderate alcohol may be neuroprotective, but what are you, you protecting against? What happens to TBI, for example, like life expectancy? Um, what happens to the brain? What are you? Oh, so yeah, TBI and you know things like chronic TB, what we can refer to as like CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, so like repeated insults to the brain. Um, those things cause neuroinflammatory responses, and also they kind of, um, as in you have like uh, inflammation in the brain, which is generally not not great. Um, it, they can also break blood vessels in your in your brain, okay? And those blood vessels are necessary for healing processes. And when those are broken, they make the inflammatory response a hell of a lot worse. When you have low to moderate alcohol consumption, okay, there have been some studies that show at least uh, chronically that these things can uh, improve a little bit of blood flow and stress. Um, so they may lower uh, things like cortisol, which can exacerbate a neuroinflammatory response. Um, but the link between these more beneficial, and I want to say that very carefully, beneficial effects of alcohol consumption are not, I think, really, uh, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done to convince me that of what the cellular mechanism is that protects the, ner the, the brain and your nervous tissue from um, alcohol-related. So if you I mean, had... traumatic brain injury, <laughs> excuse me. And I think it's, I actually maybe used the wrong word there with using the word protect. I think it, it probably mitigates mm. uh, or aids in blood flow and relaxation after the fact, okay? Mm. So if you were going to go fight Jackie Chan with only your head, you probably wouldn't down seven bottles of alcohol beforehand. No. <laughs> it I would mean, not give you although the desired you, effects. You probably couldn't get me to fight Jackie Chan with my head unless I had down seven uh, bottles of alcohol. Yeah. That would be the that would be the um, non beneficial effects of heavy alcohol consumption. Yeah. Potential to fight Jackie Chan. It's probably it's a lose lose. Situation. It's really a bad definitely. decision for anyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What probably don't fight Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan's nice enough, you probably would just say no. No, he I'm probably not fighting wouldn't. you. Yeah. Say, this would, is not the correct level for potential neuroprotective effects of alcohol. <laughs> I, I would say you'd probably have to beat up everyone in Jackie Chan's crew, like as uh, mini bosses, oh, before yeah, like you Pokemon. even get to fight Jackie Chan. Exactly. You gotta work right? up to him. You gotta work up you to can't him because Jackie Chan's step not up gonna to Jackie fight. Chan. Yeah, he's no. not gonna yeah. fight anybody. This is standards. Jackie Chan we're talking about. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. You reach that level, you can call the shots, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this isn't the first time that alcohol has been associated with positive effects. Um, I remember last year there was a whole bunch of articles coming out saying that if you drank a glass of wine every night, it's like going to the gym, mm. and you basically didn't have to exercise. What, is there any truth behind this? Okay, so <clears throat> for context, um, I, I, I'm a very big advocate of going to the gym and living a healthy, active lifestyle. 
Um, and I think headlines that tell people that they can just drink wine and reap all the benefits of doing physical activity um, for a regular basis over time, it's pretty, uh, it's a stretch. And I think it's a, something that people will use as an excuse to not go to the gym and just sit around and drink. Uh, that, please don't do that. <laughs> um, so a lot of these things are based on a 2012 study that uh, looked at rats who had a specific component of red wine called resveratrol added to their diet. And they saw slight improvements in endurance and strength um, when combined with exercise. So the rats did this 12-week exercise regimen where they ran for an hour a day. Some had resveratrol, some did not. And so none of them were actually given wine itself. There was no wine at all okay. in this study. Like and also wine is an acquired taste it's kind of bitter like i don't even mm -hmm. know if you can get can you get a rat to drink wine i don't know either way they found that a component of wine helped improve the improvements from exercise okay. the resveratrol alone had they showed very very minor you know i don't want to ignore it they had very minor improvements in things like endurance and, um, and strength, but this was absolutely dwarfed mm -hmm. by exercise alone. Mm -hmm. So no, you can't just drink wine, you lazy prick. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. to bring it back to the movie, <laughs> yeah. Jackie Chan didn't get as good at fighting by drinking. No. It was probably from the exercise. He was trained <laughs> by a well-known and well-respected and feared master of Kung mm -hmm. Fu. Mm -hmm. And he was trained, according to the movie, over the course of a year, okay? He did a lot of exercise and practiced a lot of forms and then became good at Kung Fu the way you become good at Kung Fu, which is by practice, not by getting drunk every day. That is for sure. So, Tavy, if you get really drunk, do you automatically know drunken fist fighting style? Absolutely. Okay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 In fact, the the okay. So the question, it's it's. I think it's great. It's a good question. No, you don't learn anything just by getting drunk. Not even if it's drunken kung fu. Okay. Again, you have to train and learn it. And the whole premise of drunken kung fu, um, according to what kung fu masters say and what I've seen in movies and documentaries and such, is that it's based on a deception. It's based on making your opponent think that you're absolutely hammered and uncoordinated and makes them less able to predict your movements and giving you the upper hand in combat. Now, of course, being loose and uninhibited, um, which may be associated with low to moderate alcohol consumption, may help in that style. Uh, you don't learn just by drinking. You don't learn anything just by drinking. <laughs> you forget a lot of things you just by to, drinking, exactly. actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I was looking on Yahoo question. I thought this was good. They said, can traumatic brain injury be reversed? And so is there any research into 
reversing the effects of these injuries? Well, physical therapy and things like that are definitely useful for a lot of patients. Um, but to answer that question, it is really, um, it's really difficult because traumatic brain injury, as we discussed in terms of what its severity is and what are the types and everything, it's so varied that there are some forms that you absolutely cannot reverse. I mean, take a mm -hmm. Christopher Reeve, for example, right? He had a brainstem injury or upper cervical dislocation. I mean, that's not traumatic. No, I think he's, he was paralyzed. He was, he was quadriplegic, <laughs> yeah. But that was from a, I forget whether it was cervical dislocation or higher in the brainstem area. But so there are certain highly severe forms of traumatic brain injury. Stroke, for example, depending on its severity and its, it, the area that it disrupts can be very, 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 very difficult to mitigate, but some recovery is definitely possible even in severe cases. Mm -hmm. um, but again, we're looking at a population that is highly variable mm -hmm. with an injury type that's highly variable <laughs> that has its own, even in a single individual, uh, if you're talking about regions of the brain and, and how severe the effects of the injury are, is highly variable. So. Okay. At the individual level, it's variable. At the disease level, it's variable. At the population level, it's variable. So that's not really a, gr a question I can answer. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. And speaking of which, um, how hard do you have to hit your head to actually have what's defined as a traumatic brain injury? You must score at least below a 15 on the Glasgow Coma Scale, um, which means, I actually had this pulled up, you have to at least have um, a deficient response to eye opening. Your eyes can open spontaneously. That gives you a slightly lower than ideal score on the eye portion of the, G the GSC or GCS, excuse me. Mm. Um, you uh, should be a little bit confused or disoriented when responding to verbal um, cues or ver uh, verbal tests. Um, and your motor your motor responses should be at little, at least a little bit, um, a little bit deficient. As in, they measure that by flexion or withdrawal from a painful stimuli, mm -hmm. or your ability to uh, localize a stimuli. Like, say, my hand hurts. Mm -hmm. Right? I can tell you if I can't tell you where on my hand it hurts, or which hand hurts, then that could be an indicator that my motor my motor senses are a little bit uh, deficient. I see. So hmm. it's. But, like the the outcomes of the injury are what determine the severity. Yes, according okay. to the how it's defined. I see. Yeah. In terms of studies that show benefits of wine or alcohol components, I would definitely look at the data yourself and yeah. see if you can make a conclusion. And I think you'll find that they get sensationalized very heavily. Mm -hmm. The news reports about it or the journalism around it. I mean. Ethanol in your central nervous system is generally not good. It's not good for learning and making new memories, as we know from the fact that if you drink a lot, you don't remember anything, so it can't really be that good for making memories. Um, but there is something to be said about the relaxation that, that many people feel when they are having a glass of wine after dinner 
or with a meal or just relaxing with a beverage. Mm -hmm. If that's the way that people relax, then I think that that's beneficial. And I think that the relaxation and social and psychological aspect of it is really what helps when your alcohol consumption is moderate. So, um, you know, that's not to say having a third or fourth whiskey can't result in some good times, but <laughs> don't look for health benefits after your first glass. Right. So what are some potential benefits from moderate consumption of alcohol? Have there been any studies associated with diseases or? Yeah. So um, uh, the ones that that made the most sense were were sort of large scale studies on lots and lots of human individuals. We're talking in the thousands and tens of thousands. Um, and meta-analyses co covering hundreds of thousands that showed there was a slightly lower risk of things like diabetes, diabetes, diabetes type two, and um, and also uh, like coronary heart and stroke and things. But uh, I I do want to emphasize that I don't think or know that it's the cellular molecular effects of the ethanol molecule on neurons in your brain that's doing this. I personally, this is my personal opinion a little bit because studies have, that have looked at the cellular mechanisms have only showed kind of detriment to your, to your neurons and how they function. Um, my personal opinion is that it's the, the social and psychological effects of relaxing with a beverage that help people more so than mm -hmm. ethanol's effects on a certain receptor that's expressed on certain neurons in your prefrontal cortex. Yeah, and that example. sort of speaks to what you were talking about earlier about the glass of wine study. They weren't looking at the effects of ethyl ethanol on exercise. They're looking at the effects of one of the other components of wine and how that affected it. So I guess these human studies, it's hard to control all of the different chemicals as well as all the different variables that might be present. So um, we have a Twitter question here from one of our many listeners, at JL Kessler. Jill Kessler? <laughs> Jill. This is a good friend of ours, Julian. <laughs> so in some situations, the skills learned when intoxicated seem to go away when sober. For example, I usually play darts when slightly intoxicated. However, when I play darts sober, I'm not as well coordinated. Is it dependent on the state of the person during the learning? So this is actually really a great question from a person uh, who we know, which we may or may not, uh, you know, like Julian. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I like Julian. He's cool. Um, so this whole notion of state dependent learning and you know if you learn something drunk or in some state of mind you should uh, then perform that thing um, most effectively when you're in that same state right I learn I play drunk uh, I play drunk when I dart uh, <laughs> I play darts when I drunk um, <laughs> wow that still wasn't good but anyway yeah so he plays darts when he's drunk uh, ish when he's had a few drinks um, and he thinks that he's better at it when he's drunk than he's sober, which makes a lot of sense, right? Um, this is a great question, but it's also very difficult to answer because most memory studies 
in you know rodents or other other animal models are all done in the context of state dependent learning so we associate some events or some action with a context and then we test the rat's ability or whatever animal's ability to remember what they need to remember in that same context so if there was a non if there were more studies showing non-state dependent learning i think i could answer that or maybe i'd have to read up more to see if i can find them but uh, i think it's very important that the context um, of whatever you're learning is present when you perform that being said this is a different kind of context than people usually test in rats and mice, right? And in studies of uh, using animals, they've seen that alcohol does not help with memory. Um, and even, like, we can talk about my favorite thing about the brain and its function in, this, uh, in that the way your brain learns things, we think, is tied to a phenomenon called synaptic plasticity. So it's basically changes in the strength of connections between different brain uh, regions and brain cells. And uh, data has shown that alcohol only seems to disrupt the ability of cells to um, facilitate or perform that plasticity mm. and it's known that drugs that disrupt plasticity also normally disrupt memory mm. that being said you know I'm sure there are dose effects to this um, as in heavy drinking we we all know causes some uh, anterograde amnesia right so you can get quote-unquote blackout drunk and clearly whatever you learned when you were blackout drunk you didn't learn because you don't remember it right. <laughs> okay um, <laughs> although I don't recall anybody trying to do a study on humans where you get humans blackout drunk and then teach them a motor task and then ask them to perform it when they're sober I've never seen that study a grad student who would have to do that study. yeah like like all right for a week we're getting blackout wasted yeah. every night and you're gonna do something <laughs> teach them to play the piano or whatever um, but yeah there is no I'm sure there are dosing effects. Stresses and cortisol are definitely not good for learning. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a context where you're having a nice relaxing time, you're in a bar, having a beer or two and playing darts, um, sometimes for hours on end, I'm sure that that plays into how you remember and perform the activity later on. So if you're in a more stressful environment where there is no beer and it's well lit and you can see everybody sees how ugly you are you know and you're stressed <laughs> out about that <laughs> for example stop describing me <laughs> stop <laughs> describing me <laughs> yeah so i'm just saying like in a dimly lit relaxing bar type environment that might be a great context to learn a lot of different things and if mm -hmm. you have a beer and you're relaxed then sure if you're stressed out because you're sober and you're in a dart throwing competition, <laughs> that could affect your performance. In mm -hmm. fact, I bet it would. I see. Yeah. So again, it's not necessarily the ethanol itself. 
that's creating this type of learning. It's more of the context and how relaxed you are. Yeah, based on the animal studies, it seems like the ethanol is just, um, it's not good for how your cells function. Um, but, you know, when you're studying synaptic plasticity, mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, you know, they're basically putting ethanol in like a bath with some brain tissue. You mm -hmm. know, they're not giving the rat. Uh, uh, you know some ethanol like it's not having a beer and then you're testing the electrical responses while it's having the beer and learning stuff like so you know I think a it's a great question I think more work needs to be done to understand this phenomenon yeah. but uh, my gut tells me that it's more of the global effects of being relaxed and yeah. chilled out and having a beer while you learn or discuss something so if you had to fight jackie chan at something what skill would it be i'd fight jackie chan at a pcr competition there you go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, i would definitely oh shit he's got the powerful wrists yeah, right because yeah. artful han i bet yeah, he doesn't think to put his enzymes on ice and stuff though that's true. probably not yeah he so i think I've, I've got him but a lot of the pcr <laughs> enzymes now are hot starts so he may oh. get away with it uh, oh <laughs> damn that's right heidi if you had to challenge our new best friend apparently jackie chan to some he's only my of... my best friend oh I'm only sorry. my oh. yeah i'm sorry so he can't be your friend you could too. challenge him to a best friend contest <laughs> jackie chan if you were listening <laughs> okay, i challenge between the you. three of us who'd be the best friend of jackie chan <laughs> who can be nicest so heidi how what would your competition be oh man this is so hard Oh, I wanted to say rock climbing, but he's going to kick my ass at that. He's yeah. going to be so good at that. Yeah, have you it's seen, like, like, what's my name and stuff like that? Like, he'll, he'll climb up anything. He climbs up he, a, okay, never mind. He climbs up a sheer face with, like, no bumps on it. Yeah, like, he climbs up air. <laughs> it doesn't even need rock or surface. I've seen him in the Forbidden Kingdom. He floats up. God, he does the con He has the floating foot, the this legendary like floating foot. This is how I realize I have no skills, I Yeah, think. exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. shit. Sewing. I, I bet I could out-sew Jackie Chan. I've, I've never heard of Jackie Chan sewing something uh, so i think i could be a better seamstress i guess than jackie chan you would challenge him to a sewing although i don't know how what would that competition be like we make try to make it's project runway project style runway. tim gun yeah make it work jackie chan <laughs> whoever makes the warmest sweater yeah <laughs> <laughs> but tavy has to test it out and i know you're just gonna oh, choose jackie chan yeah he's a biased judge yeah <laughs> Yeah, Jackie well. Chan just hugs you. That's his warm sweater <laughs> that he made. Just smiles. <laughs> and Tavy feels all warm inside. Yeah, that's, he doesn't even have to sew. He doesn't. It's fine. Damn it. It's fine. Uh, you still lose. I do. <laughs> Jackie Chan, if you are listening, give me a hug. Aww. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that's for oh, Jackie Chan. <laughs> what oh, about God. you, Anne? What would you challenge Jackie Chan to? Oh, I'm really good at Raffi and Hamilton. Oh, shit, there you go. <laughs> no, I don't want to Jack Chan does sing, though. Damn it, yeah. He's a really good singer. Yeah, but rapping. Rap is different, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Jackie Chan raps. Uh, I knew. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> what he does every skill can God. I? an amazing person. Oh, he's so All right. Okay. If I had to challenge Jackie Chan in something... And I guess being his best friend's already taken by Andrew Tavey. Yep, that's me. Um, I'd maybe try like a volleyball 
like game yeah. or something. Because I, I don't know would how he would destroy. He would yeah, probably, <laughs> he would probably be me. <laughs> but I got nothing else because. As I was just looking for skills, it seems like he has every skill he has imaginable. Every skill. Yeah, so he's kind of. It's just got to be maybe sucking up to Jackie Chan because he seems like he's probably also really humble. So I could beat him at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's bound to fail regardless. So. Sorry. Just play some volleyball and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say you could have fun, but he'd probably defeat you at having fun he too. He would definitely. Yeah, he would have a good attitude having, the whole yeah. time, yeah. and then I'd and he could do like parkour. I'm pretty yeah, sure he invented he invented parkour. I'm pretty sure that parkour started because of people seeing how he did his early movies oh, and the yeah. fun the fun way that he coordinated chase scenes and yeah, things like yeah, jumping yeah. through small using like, things like whatever's in the environment like yeah. Oh, why go down the stairs when I can jump through the railing instead? You know, <laughs> I can do this. Inspirational figure to oh, God, <laughs> yeah, what an amazing person! Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Cinema Science, and thank you, Andrew Taby, for joining us this episode. Please feel free to visit um, our lab's website. That is the Shepherd Shepherd Lab dot org, and that's S H E P H E R D Lab. Um, if you were to just search for Shepherd Lab on Google, it will come up, but only after a series of images of Shepherd Lab mixes, um, which are great. <laughs> also <laughs> worth checking out. Also yeah. worth, very worth checking out. If you'd like to learn more about our guest's research or the topics that were covered in today's episode, check out our website at cinemasciencepodcast.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at cinemasciencepodcast, and you can find Heidi at pandabumha. Anne doesn't have a Twitter, but her dog Hubble sure does. You can find him at Hubble Gibson. Our intro and outro music was composed by Kagan Breitenbach. You can find more information about him at our website, but also check out his personal website at kaganbreitenbach.com. The first season of Cinema Science was graciously funded by the University of Utah's Neuroscience Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Bye!